This is an Alexandrian Media original podcast. Show culture, but not really unqualified. Lessons in Wow, that was. I'm your host, Brian Edward Strager, and I'm your other host, Stephen Edward Strager. And I hope that you understood every bit of that, because I'm not doing it again. <laughs> this is already take two. You don't even know what happened on take one, and you don't want to know what happened on take one. And I'm not going to repeat it for everyone here. Please no. But guess what, dog. This is going to be another after work special. Yes, because I am going away. Steven's going away. He's going to Pittsburgh. Hail, hail, hail to the folks. Pittsburgh. I'm a Pennsylvanian. I've been born and raised spending 29 of my 30 years on this planet and never have been to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. (laughs) Dramatic pause. (laughs) It's okay. Yeah. I've never been in Pittsburgh. I've been around Pittsburgh. Yeah, I don't I don't know too much of the western side of the state. Well, Pennsylvania is a big state. It is a very big state. I mean, we love to talk about Texas and Alaska as being big and whatnot, but like Pennsylvania is like the biggest northeastern like state, maybe next to New York. New York's pretty big. Yeah. But anyway, we're here to talk about Elden Ring. Yeah, because we're recording, because we can't record this weekend, because Stephen's going to Pittsburgh to see a friend that he hasn't seen because he lives in Australia. Yeah. And he's here in the States. So I decided to bring the energy that I'm doing right now (laughs) to talk about Elden Ring. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about the ring that that's so old. It's so old. What do you know about it? Gosh, um, what do I know and about don't it? Don't be looking it up on your phone and trying <laughs> to be all smart for the <laughs> listeners. Um, I just know that it's a video game. I know that it was um, made by the same studio that did the... Um, you the know. Dark Souls. I did a whole episode on all that shit. I know. Did I a whole episode. You haven't listened? Go I, check out our, our our episode I did on the Soulsborn universe. Yeah, I know that. Um, uh, that George R. R. Martin oh, yeah, was one of the writers, and George R. R. Martin being of the Game of Thrones fame yes. and the Song of Ice and Fire book series writer. Yes. yes. And um, I know a little pieces of the story, but I don't know enough of it to be able to give you a to give large me what picture. I want. Yes. But that's okay, because I did a little pre- a premise breakdown that's pretty much as vague <clears throat> as I can get through to get through the whole entirety of the game of Elden Ring before we talk more in specifics. 
Um, so Elden Ring takes place in the Lands Between, a fictional landmass ruled over by several demigods. It was previously ruled over by the immortal Queen Merica, who acted as keeper of the Elden Ring, a powerful force that manifested as a physical concept of order. When Merica eventually shattered the Elden Ring as one of and the disappeared, player must her demigod children began warring over pieces of the ring in an event called the Shattering. Mm. Each demigod possesses a shard of the ring called a This is definitely like high concept fantasy. And I kind of wanted to do this episode to get people who maybe don't know about Elden Ring a chance to know more about Elden Ring. Yeah. Because I feel like Elden Ring seems like a lot of a lot of game for a lot of people. Yeah, it's big. It's a big game. And it's also because there's just like countless things you can do in it. There's like all the it feels like most of the game feels optional. And when I say it feels optional, it's more so because so many of the events that happen kind of are at the leisure of how you choose to handle every situation you come across. Right. I mean, most of the main bosses, because again, this is a Dark Souls game adjacent. The main concept of these games is the bosses. Yeah. A lot of the big bosses of the game are pretty skippable if you don't feel like dealing with them. Yeah. So the game itself is structured in a way that's just like, like you sort of have to seek out how much you want to get out of it. Right. And this is a game, and I've said this in the, in the Soulsborne episodes, this, these games have a story that is told mostly through the items you get. Yeah. So unless you're scrounging around and reading the, the item descriptions of everything in the game, you're not going to know. You're not going to know the specifics. You're not going to know the, the story. You're going to just get the the big picture beginning to end. Like, I hit I hit the big boy with my big sword and did a big bonk. Yeah. And I won. But unless you go in depth, you get a lot of the story is missed along, all among the, the casual player. Yeah. Um, if anyone finds this stuff interesting, like I do, there's uh, many channels on the Ubid Tubid YouTube, YouTube, <laughs> that just do deep dives in this stuff, and it's all very interesting. The one that I always recommend is a channel called Vati Vidya, and I'll make sure we put his, at least the, the spelling of his channel in our show notes, yeah, just so that people have that. Um, but he's one of many, and he's just the one that I think has the most, does the most storytelling from, like he tries to be a storyteller about it. And is probably the the best produced of the of that. But anyway, I do want to get into a lot of those specifics. And this feels a little early, but I do want to take a break because the, the second half of this episode's gonna get beefy with lore. Yeah. Let's go. Oh my god, already? Yeah. So, like I said, I did want to get through our, our, our little break early, just because once we get started on this, it's hard to stop. Yeah. Um, and because I wanted to basically do a run through of like the what I would consider, and this is not a definitive list. No one cancel me, please don't. Um, but it's my basically I pulled from from different sources of the the most notable bosses and characters in the game to sort of do like a, a little little bit more of a deep dive into what the lore sounds like for people who might be interested in this 
particular intellectual property. Yeah. Because um, I just feel like, unless I feel like this game seems really daunting for people who might really like it. And I thought giving the information, especially because I know you're someone who I've been saying for many months now, because part of the reason why I wanted to do this episode is we're coming up on the one year of its release. So yeah, I believe it came out February 20th last year. Um, Your guess is as good as mine. I know it was February. Um, but so I figured since we're coming up, I thought this game's still being loved. And I kind of got the idea of doing this sort of very specific idea because I wanted to revisit, revisit, revisit this topic. And also I've been watching Secret Sleepover Society Twitch channel. Yeah. And they have been doing a all NPC run of the game do all the the NPC quests and I just found it to be really interesting and I thought I could be a little little entryway potentially for those who just want to know what's what's going on in the in this story. Yeah. All right. So the first big boss character I want to talk about is Godric the Grafted. Do you know anything about? Mm, no. So this is really just going to be me. Um, informing you about all these characters and you just saying, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know too much about Godric. I mean, I don't really know too much about any of them other than the ones that you've... Well, you mostly know from when I'd be like, I just beat Blooded Blah. And you're like, yeah. good job, babe. And I'm yeah, like, good yeah. job. And you just, I run in like a little kid. Yeah, you do that in any of these Soulsborne games. Well, because so many of them are like challenges, and it's like I've overcome it. Um, but so the first one, Godric the Grafted, he is the son of Godwin the Golden, who I will mention later on more specifically. But Godric the Grafted is the ruler of Stormvale Castle, and is one of the first demigods and shardbearers that the players can fight. So he's basically the first big boss of the game for most players. Um, he is a descendant of Godfrey, and he'll get. Uh, he's on this list later on. And being a descendant of Godfrey uh, began the birth of the Golden Lineage. Um, but many of his his followers and other people find him to be actual weak and unworthy to rule, mm-hmm. which is kind of why his he has a, a passion for what's called grafting. Yes, and it is. Very horrific. This I know. And it is very unsettling. He basically takes uh, the arms and legs of soldiers and grafts them onto himself. And he is just in visual a big mass of just like appendages. And that's kind of where he gets his power from is by doing this horrible, disgusting, like basically like creates and he creates abominations doing this grafting process. He just basically think less, less gross human centipeding type behavior. Yeah. Um, and he's just, he's just a big disgusting flesh mound. Yeah. He's, he's, Depending on, on how early you face him, he's either really easy or really hard. 
Um, and he also has a fun thing. Most of these bosses end up having multiple phases that you have to get through to beat them. Yeah. He has a second phase where he actually demonstrates firsthand his grafting ability. To a drag again. By, yeah, by, in, in his battle arena, there's this uh, dead dragon on a, like, that's been skewered on a monument. Little, like, he yeah. basically fights in, like, a graveyard. And he takes, he cuts off his own arm and shoves it in the dragon's head and then basically gets reanimates the dragon so he can use it to like breathe fire and stuff. Yeah. He nasty. Yeah. Um so the next that's pretty much the rest and he's he's early boss uh Godwin and Godfrey are big names in the pantheon um of the game. Godfrey is uh and I'll get more into this later but he's the f- first consider the first elden lord yeah which again is the the main goal of the game is to become an elden lord yeah um and godwin is godfrey's son yeah um the next big character i want to talk about is renala queen of the full moon yeah she's kind of more sad than any of the other characters yeah um she's not a demigod because she's not part of the lineage that qualifies her to become a demigod but she does have one of the shard bearers so she qualifies as one of the big bosses yeah um, and she is the leader of the uh the, or the head of the academy of raya Luca- lucaria and she's a powerful sorceress she's head of the carrion royal family and she was uh there was a character named radagon who's a big player in the story. Um, if you remember the immortal Queen America, yep. Radagon is her current husband. And Radagon is also the like the reigning Elden Lord of the game. Mm-hmm. So Renala is actually Radagon's first wife. Yeah. And Radagon left her to be with Queen America and kind of mentally shattered her mm-hmm. she when you when you find her in the game she's in the this massive grand library uh, in this academy yeah. and she has her pupils fight you while she sort of floats around and just mindlessly casts spells at you yeah holding an egg uh, holding a big amber egg that was gifted to her by radagon and inside the this big amber egg is where her shard of the Elden Ring resides. Mm-hmm. She has a penchant for rebirth and rebirthing people. And it's because of that that she's actually also a bit of a monster. Yeah. Because she just mindlessly rebirths things because she's kind of just mentally not well. Yeah. Um, and so you fight her in the first phase. She's floating in a big armored shells like shield that she that she has uh her her pupils who are these like weird crawling like frail crawling beings that are all wearing like weird like old-fashioned educational garb is the only best way i can describe it yeah like they're all wearing like weird hats and like like long black cloaks with like the weird little white puffy like under yeah thing um but once you get through that first phase, she then gets possessed by her her daughter, Ronnie, who is the lunar princess, Ronnie. And 
Ronnie takes over and basically takes you to Clown Town in the most gorgeous battle arena. Yeah, it's really pretty. It's basically you fight on this like shallow water floor and there's a huge full moon in the, in the backdrop and that's it. Yeah. It's this big, vast open space. And then so Ronnie basically gets mad at you for fighting her mom and takes over. Yeah. But the interesting thing is Renala's really the only boss that you fight that you don't actually kill. Right. Because after you beat her, you get you get her great rune, which allows you to use her ability to rebirth without uh, dying. Because the issue with her, her rebirthing ability that she has, it's not perfect. So often the things that she rebirths before... Unless you have the great rune, which perfects the ability, the things that get rebirthed are usually frail, weak, and die right away. Yeah. So there are there are characters you meet that that wish that sort of rebirth upon them. That if you don't do their quest line correctly, they end up dying because of this. Hmm. So instead, while in the possession of the great rune that she owned, you can prevent perform you know, quote unquote rebirths at like when you talk to her and doing so just lets you respect your character, mm. change up your, your attribute points and basically gives you more of an option to customize your playthrough if you want to change things up. Right. Um, and that's pretty much all around all. She's just a, a, a depressed, uh, ex-wife of, of a big dude who dumped her. Yeah. And she does carry a big egg. And yeah. it is very, she's very well designed. I'll say, like she's got a very like porcelain esque ap- appearance, but she wears this massive like super flowy gown at the right. same time, and this weird hat. It kind of <laughs> looks like a, like it kind of looks like a crescent moon. Yeah, yeah she is. She is the, the queen, queen of, the full, of moon. the full moon. Yeah, so so it makes sense. Yeah, it's called character design. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of it a bet for Ranala. Um, and these, I'll mention too, these aren't in necessarily any particular order, I would say. I'm just sort of doing it based off of what I just found to be interesting. And, yeah. and I didn't really care about the order too much. Um, but she is t- technically like the second big boss of the game. Mm-hmm. But again, both Ranala and Godric are technically optional. Because you only, like, like they're not, they're, you don't have to fight them at all, but... You're probably going to. Yeah. That's kind of what I mentioned earlier when I said the game's, the whole game feels optional in terms of like what you can do because yeah. nothing is set in stone. Yeah. Um, the next big, big boy that I want to talk about is Godfrey. Yeah. I mentioned to him he's the basically the grandpa of Godric, the grafted. He is the first Elden Lord and Godfrey was Queen America's first consort and made that makes him the first Elden Lord. Um, but before he earned this title, he was known as Horalu, the chieftain of the Badlands and a bloodthirsty warrior. Mm. And after becoming the uh, Lord to, to, to reign with America, he adorned a, a spiritual beast regent named Sirash, which is a giant spectral tiger that mm. he affixed to his back so that it would kind of keep it basically it acts as a way for him to keep his bloodthirsty 
violence in check. And he's uh, basically, uh, when you see him, when you fight with him in the first form, he's, you see that the, the tiger biting his shoulder, kind of acting as like a, like a suppression to keep him from like lashing out. Cause he's kind of like constantly being injured by this spectral beast to keep him like in check. Yeah. Um, but after you get him, his health down low, low enough, he kills the spectral tiger and releases his true anger as Horaloo. So when you fight him, he starts out as Godfrey the First Elden Lord, and then he turns into Horaloo. Hmm. And interesting, he just he he's mostly angry at you because you throughout the game. This is he's one of the last bosses. He's like the second to last boss of the whole game. Hmm. He's basically mad at you for killing his son, who we'll get to in a little bit. Yeah, um, but that's kind of him. That's kind of it. He's. Uh, He's he's not as as impactful to the story as some of these others in terms of like he's a big deal in the lore. He's just not like directly a big deal, right? Like he's a big name, but he's himself is very. I will also add, you do fight him technically twice because the first time you fight him as this like weird golden shade, and it's mm. just like an illusion almost, but he can still very much kill you. Yeah. So that's Godfrey the first Elden Lord. Slash Horaloo. Yeah. Um, the next one is Rikerd, the Lord of Blasphemy. Hmm. He is the son of Renala and Radagon. So this is before Radagon went to leave Renala to go right. be with Merica. And kind of because Radagon left Renala, he kind of got bitter against uh, the Golden Order, which is what America rules mm. and is exhibited by what's called the Erd Tree, which is a massive golden tree in the middle of the lands between. You can pretty much see it, yeah. see it from anywhere. every angle yeah. in the game. And it's very, very imposing and also very beautiful at the same time. So he chose to go against the Erd Tree and the Golden Order um, and... He is the true form of the God-devouring serpent who he took over the body of by just, like, his power alone. And he basically found the God-devouring serpent below this volcano and decided to merge with it to try to find immortality and also to find the strength to kill all the other gods, hence the God-devouring serpent. Yeah. So he... When you fight, when you start the fight against him, he is referenced as the God Devouring Serpent. And once you defeat that part, he he like shows himself and he is horrific. <laughs> I can imagine. He's basically a face on the end of a long snake body. Oh, right. That's right. And he's just a mass. He's like just a massive like serpent tails and body. And it's very unpleasant. Yeah. And he is one of the, the only, I think he's the only in this game, but these kind of games have the tendency to have a boss fight where you need a specific uh, weapon to do it well in order to get like right. an upper head. So in the beginning of this, the boss arena, when you first enter, there's a sword called the Serpent Hunter that you can get that basically turns him into very small pieces of a snake because it is so strong against him. But it's a thing when these these games where there's a special item to beat a boss, 
and that special weapon is super strong against that boss and just terrible against That's everything else. Yeah. So it's just one of those like it's people kind of call them gimmick battles. Um, but he is fighting in a, an arena where he is constantly uh, oozing lava. Yep. So getting close to him is kind of annoying. He's a little bit of a bitch. Mm-hmm. Um, and he used to have uh, a, a bevy of supporters that were also uh, uh, seeking to overthrow the Golden or- Order, but after he offered himself up to the serpent to you know, try to gain immortality, most of his followers turned on him. Yeah. Because he's kind of a slimeball. Like there are people, there are people in this game that want to take, want to like take down the golden order because they don't, they don't believe in the way that they approach the idea of destiny and stuff. But he just wants to do it because he's just like he's just bitter. Yeah, he's bitter and he just wants to be. He just wants to be powerful. His yeah. only goal is to be powerful. Um, so yeah, that's kind of him. And we're gonna get into some of the more juicy, juicy dudes. They're juicy ones. Um, these ones I did want to kind of leave towards the end just because they're they got more going on, but they're more interesting. All right. So the next one is probably the poster child at this point for the video game. Melania Blade of Mikola. She is the child of Queen America and Lord Radagon. And she has an elder twin brother by the name of Mikola, hence the Blade of Mikola part. Right. Melania and Mikola were uh, Empyreans, which meant that they had the potential to one day replace their mother as a new god of the coming age which is a big deal in this world. There are other uh, Empyreans that didn't make it, one of them being the lunar princess Rani. She is Hmm. an Empyrean who also was tasked with the whole uh, trying to become God one day thing. Interesting. But there is a plot twist that I will get, so spoilers for a big thing in the game. But you find out through playing the game that Radicon and Merica actually inhabit the same body. They're the same being. Mm Mm-hmm. And because of this, and because Melania and Mikola are the child, the children of this one individual, they actually were born cursed. Mm. Uh, Melania is afflicted with a, a phenomenon in the game called Scarlet Rot, which is a very like horrible poison. It's pure red, hence the scarlet, and it just it just decays everything it touches, um, and. Mikola was actually uh, infected by eternal childhood, hmm. cursed to never be able to grow up. Um, but Melania, being uh, having to deal with Scarlet Rot eating her away, she was constantly ravaged and uh, cost her several limbs on her body. Uh, but even with with their afflictions, Melania and Mikola were close, and Melania would become her brother's sworn blade and protector. And while Mikola worked tirelessly to try to undo the curses they both had, he was locked away in this thing called the Hallig Tree, which is kind of where he rested trying to, to solve any way to, to cure them both from their curses. Mm. And he could never find a cure for himself. And the most he could do for Melania was he, fa- he designed a needle of unalloyed gold that kept the Scarlet Rock from ravaging her body. Mm. And Melania ends up having the biggest lore with uh, one of the other big boys of the game, Star Scourge Radon, who I mm-hmm. will get to yeah. more of their their dynamic later. But 
in terms of gameplay, she is considered the most difficult boss of the entire game. Hmm. I have never beaten her. That I know. She is also 100% optional, so that is good. That's good. Because if you had a boss like her in the way of finishing the game, most players would not finish the game. Um, She's basically what most games would consider a super boss. Like you have to do a lot to find them, and then it's going to be a difficult thing on top of it. Final Fantasy is big on that. Yeah. They'll have like the big boss be nothing compared to like the super bosses being like the Ultima weapon. Yeah. It's like like the uh Valkyries or the Berserkers like, yep. in in the God of War or Exactly. Yeah. There there there's always that that and especially in these games, there's always optional bosses that, that do exactly that. They just they're designed to wreck you repeatedly. And only those who have the mental fortitude to be killed and defeated hundreds of times will actually ever get to see the after of their battle. Right. Um, but she has a cool second form after you beat her the first time, which is already difficult. She becomes even more difficult and comes back as the queen of rot. Mm. And she basically goes from being this warrior, like Valkyrie esque looking warrior with a massive katana. She then gets rid of that to be, Basically, get her her disease and her curse gives her the ability to also fly, and bloom into flowery like giant area of attack attacks, where she like blooms into a giant scarlet flower that inflicts you with scarlet rot, and it's very terrible, and I hate it. Interesting, but design wise, very cool, and lore wise, very cool. Yeah, and you find her in the resting place that. Mikola was supposed to be, but Mikola is not there and she is left waiting where he was supposed to be hmm. because she thought he would be there. So you find her where she thinks her twin brother is. It's a little sad. Yeah. Because they, they do not get the the uh, resolution, resolution, the recompense, the coming back together that they should be deserved. Um, but that's kind of it for Melania. Melania? I don't know how to say her name. I'm always bad at that. You know better than I would. I just, I think because of politics, I keep saying Melania. Yeah. I don't know. So that's not, if I say it wrong, I apologize. It's Melania, I'm pretty sure. The next one I want to talk about is Morgoth the Omen King. Hmm. Morgoth is uh, born from the golden lineage and is the offspring of the first Elden Lord Godfrey and Queen Merica. Uh, so he is the brother of like the, the regular brother of Godwin the golden, but also has a twin brother named Moog, which we'll talk about Moog later. Um, but he being the twin brother of Moog, they were both born as what are called a, omens which are are thought to be accursed beings that are born of like with animal traits so morgoth's design has like craggly horns growing out of his head and he's very like like a weird proportions because he's massive so yeah as a result because of the way this this world treats omens he was confined to the subterranean shunning ground underneath the city he lives in and they called Leyendel. but Normally with omen, if if there are any omen are born, they the, the people of the society would cut off their horns, which usually kills them. 
and any that survive end up just becoming like army soldiers of various armies who want them in their ranks, but they're not treated well. They're mm-hmm. like outcasts of society. But because Mog and Morgoth were born of royalty, their horns weren't cut off, but they were forced to live underground, mm. at least until the shattering. Um, and unlike Mog, Morgoth renounced his accursed blood and sealed it away inside a blade, which he turned into a wooden staff, which is what he attacks you with. And when Queen Merica shattered the Elden Ring, Morgoth claimed one of the great runes, hence being one of the, sh- the shard bearers. And he took over the city of Landell while it was in disarray after the events uh, and defended it and the Erdtree against the other his other siblings, the other demigods. And he succeeded in securing Landell, but he still had not gained the favor of the Erdtree, nor had anyone else. So it basically became impossible to claim the title of Elden Lord. Um, and even though he was a, reviled as an accursed fiend by the Golden Order, he still swore to protect the Erdtree, which kind of gives him a little bit of a sad, like, he, he does it for his own set of principles, even though the world's against him. Right. Um, but I skipped over something that, that falls into a very important thing, is he's actually known by another name. And he is also known as Margit the Fell Omen. This is important because he, in this form, is the first real, like, hard stop, can you finish this game kind of moment for a lot of players. Because he actually defends Stormvale Castle, where Godric the Graffit is, and he's the first big threat of the game. Yeah, this is this is the first boss that I was introduced to. Yeah, he's, he's a big... He, he's... Basically, there's not a huge difference in his appearance between the first and second iterations of him, but he does introduce players, especially new players of any of these kinds of games, to what this game is going to have for them. He's just a platform. Yeah, it sets the tone for pretty much the rest of the game. Um, But he's also the only of these bosses to come back in the same form like this. Mm. Yeah. and the biggest difference between the fir- his his Margit and Mar- Morgot forms is when he you face him as Morgot, he shatters the, the wooden staff he attacks with, and that's when he reveals the sword that's held within. Mm. And he's much more strong in his full form. And that's Margit. He's kind of he's a little bit of a sad boss because he's like his whole life he's been thrown into the gutters and basically shunned and yeah can't do anything about it based on the way he was born um but i will say fun fact the uh there were many people on twitter that were weirdly attracted to him in very weird ways mm. there was a lot of thirst tweets going after margaret and morgot mm. especially because the, the voice actor has a very good voice so yeah it's very strong there's actually a video on YouTube of him, of the voice actor reading Thirst tweets. It's very amusing. Because he's also not, you can tell he doesn't know with the project he worked on very well. He just like auditioned and got the part. Yeah. Because he doesn't understand any of it at all. Like he doesn't understand the references. They don't understand. Like there's people on Twitter saying, step on me, Margaret. Like, like in, in that way. Yeah. And if you know, you know, I'm not explaining it to it. My mom listens to the show. Anyway. Moving along, 
Um, we're almost we're almost done. This is the second to last, second to last dude. Yeah, but probably my favorite, both in design and his like just his lore. I think I've seen this boss battle the most. This like, is just in general of like clips of. Things oh yeah, because he's he's the most like out of this world like crazy in terms of his like everything. His his battle arena is massive. The concept behind it's like whack. He's just a cool dude. Yeah. <laughs> and this is Star Scourge Radon. I mentioned him earlier. Um, he is the son of Ranala and Radagon. Again, not not Merica. He became a, a demigod after his father's marriage to Queen Merica, and he is regarded as the mightiest hero of, of the demigods and was one of the strongest participants of the Shattering. He has two siblings, Rikerd and Rani. Yeah. And Radon... He basically just never stopped growing and he grew massive. So he's this big dude. But the reason why I, I think I, I love him so much is he has one of the funniest things in this game. As he grew, he eventually outgrowned his scrawny but beloved steed named Leonard. Yeah, I know this. And he loved this horse so goddamn much that instead of abandoning it, he studied gravitational magic. So that he could still ride his little horse. Yeah. This big so dude riding a little if horse. If you see him, he's this massive dude on this tiny little horse. And the the lore behind it is that he is keeping himself afloat just enough so he can still ride on his little tiny horse named Leonard. Yeah. That is so fucking funny. <laughs> that is hilarious to me. Yeah. That's like, I love, I love the writers for doing this little piece of magic. Like this little piece of magic of, of writing. Just like yeah. giving this little piece of backstory that doesn't do anything for him. It doesn't improve his backstory. It just makes him kind of lovable. Yeah. And he's probably the most lovable of all the bosses because all the bosses have some form of like, oh, you're being, you're doing this for gross reasons but he mastered gravitational magic and allowed him to manipulate the forces of gravity so strongly he was and he basically challenged the very stars themselves mm. and that's why he got the name star scourge basically he stopped the rotation of the stars and other like celestial bodies in the universe from moving that's how strong he is yeah and his his whole story which is kind of it's kind of unfortunate is he during the 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 warring that happened after the shattering from his stronghold of Redmain Castle in the Kalid Wilds, which is a, a a territory in the game that is just wrecked with scarlet rot. It's just this twisted wasteland of of mutated creatures because of this horrible thing. But from his his castle, he led his armies against the forces of the other demigods until only him and his half sister Melania were left standing. They fought to a stalemate, which ended when Melania unleashed her Scarlet Rot. The Scarlet Rot consumed Radon from the inside. It ate away his psyche and turned him into a mindless beast who just devoured the, fre- the flesh of everyone that came to him, friend and flo- foe alike. He's, R- Radon, with his, still clad in his armor, still widening, wielding his, his giant swords, still atop his undersized steed, now roamed to the sandy, war-torn dudes on Caleb's southeastern coasts. Hmm. And his whole lore of, of the battle to get to him is there's a, a big festival that's that's happening at Redmain Castle to basically take down Radon. 
fighters from all over the the continent are coming from you know to to prove their worth in battle and you do you you go out you can in the game you're allowed to summon both npcs and other players into fights and he lets you summon the most and multiple times throughout the fight but he's like from from the gate the moment the battle starts he's launching massive arrows at you and then once his health gets like halfway down he he launches into the air and becomes a fucking comet a fucking meteorite yeah to to just mutilate your ass all along riding his little tiny horse yeah um and the coolest cutscene of the game i think happens after you beat him because again because he's holding back the gravitational like rotation of all the celestial bodies in the sky after you beat him basically everything like goes like undoes it and this cutscene is just watching all the stars like like cycle by fat like super fast leaving trails and it's super cool and super gorgeous and it also like causes a massive meteorite to crash land on on the the area of the lands between yeah and it opens up a a secret area it's just such a cool like and then that's the other thing is like the lore of that being like that's how strong he was even mindlessly you know bestial with like little like the only thing he had left in i guess in his instinct was to take care of this little horse he was literally keeping back like that that's just a cool thing to have as a it's like a character trait yeah and it's it's another thing is and this is pointed out like as like a point to say is he when you fight him with like the 12 npc summons that are needed to successfully beat him you do so at his weakest because mm. he's basically just like a zombie, just a yeah. zombie that knows how to do his attacks and everything. But he's he's not mentally there. He's just attacking out of aggression. So like that's the other part is like imagine how strong he would have been at his peak. That's peak, yeah. And that's just I guess he's, that's a big reason. I just find him to be such a cool and well-written boss. Yeah, with a lot of cool backstory and kind of sad in the way of like, he's now just you know a mindless, vicious zombie. Yeah, just haunting these this coast that he fights and his battle arena is like super cool too. It's just a massive beach with like sand dunes and graves of all the the people that have tried to fight him in the past, and it's just yeah, (sighs) yeah. but uh, I'll, I'll let him be because now we have to talk about the last big dude is Mog, the yeah. Lord of Blood. Mm. Imagine getting that nickname. Yeah, doesn't sit well with me. <laughs> he just loves Steven blood. The Lord of Blood. No, no. <laughs> um, but I mentioned him earlier. He's the twin brother of Morgoth, so he's also an omen. Um, he kind of went the opposite direction that Morgoth did and said, you know, after the shattering and when he was freed, he basically said, fuck the world. I'm going to, I'm going to make, make it my way. Yeah. And so basically what he did, his big thing after gaining a, a shard of the Elden ring to, to, to have for himself, he fled underground and ended up making contact with an outer God known as the formless mother. 
And it's this being that allowed him to ignite his cursed blood with fire and allowed him to develop a powerful blood flame magic. Wow. And with this new power, he he was trying to find a way for him to gain the title of king, earnestly and honestly, not just being called, like not just giving that title to himself. So what he ended, what his plan was, is he basically kidnapped Mikola from his Halig tree, where you know where Melania ends yeah. up going, and he takes him to his his palace, known as the Mogwin Palace. The Mogwin Palace. And basically cocoons him to try to keep him alive while he just slumbers in his frailness. And basically tries to heal and to take care of uh, Mikola enough to then have him ascend to godhood so that he could become Mikola's king consort. Mm. Basically getting his own lineage of ruling this this new dynasty he's calling the Mogwin dynasty. Hmm. And he basically just sits in his palace waiting to establish his new dynasty. And he's served by his sanguine nobles, as well as a band of tarnish known as the Bloody Fingers. And he just sits and waits until knock, 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 player character tarnished shows up and gives him the business, so to speak. Yeah. Um, he is he's not really as as impactful to the storyline. He's just he's got he's just got a cool vibe. Yeah. His his fight is is one of just like you have to be able to recover from damage easily. Yeah. After like you take him down to half, he basically immediately cuts you, your health down to like if you don't heal immediately, you're gonna die. And it's just He's just an interesting from the sense of like, I like that he has a motivation that's kind of different from everyone else. Everyone else is trying to become Elden Lord the old way or trying to like take it down. He's like, I'm going to start my own regime. It's going to yeah. be separate. And it's just unfortunate because he he's, he's kind of going about it in the creepiest way. He's like, let me steal this eternally ch- child person and get him to become God enough so that I can be his like right hand man mm. and does it by stealing like kidnapping this this frail man child yeah literal man child not like in the sense that he's like yeah. immature um, and it's kind of also unfortunate because it also he basically takes Mikola away from Melania and so that's a union that never gets any resolution to it yeah and again this game is a lot of depression <laughs> like a lot not, like nothing's ever really working out for anyone in particular right everyone's always a little bit uh you know on the on the downtrodden um but that's all i wanted to go through in terms of the the characters that, that you then end up fighting in the game but um i mean for those that don't know elden ring was uh received universal acclaim by nearly everyone and has numerous awards uh, won, including game of the year. It's by many outlets, including the game awards of 2022. Yeah. And while I do think it deserves it, I was still a little upset that God of War Ragnarok didn't win game of the year over it only because my best friend worked on that game. And I did cry when I saw his name in the credits of God of War Ragnarok, but that's a story for another time. Yeah. But yeah, um, I hope you guys enjoy this. I know it was a little bit more 
deep divey than I think we normally get with any specific topic, but that's mm-hmm. kind of what I wanted to do. We do we call our show history and pop culture, but I, we've also been doing a lot of history lately. Yeah. So I thought we'd I'd do a little like kind of hyper focus on on something that I kind of wanted to do and kind of wanted to test and see if these episodes are you know well received. Um, I hope I hope everyone liked it, and I uh, thank you, Stephen, for enduring this after work recording <laughs> with me. I could tell that you were having a, a, a not a difficult time, but I know you were definitely trying to keep your energy as high as you can. And I know yeah. you're going to be excited to hang up this episode. Yeah. But before we do, we have some people to thank. Yeah, of course. Of course. We wouldn't forget Daryl Banner no, for our wonderful horse music. We wouldn't forget to thank him or our supporters and people that listen to us and the fans that we have, the millions yeah. of adoring, adoring fans that I have purchased on Amazon. The millions of fans. <laughs> you, yeah, the ones that blow in your face all the time all yeah. night long. To keep listen, your, I get hot. I need to stay cold, stay frosty. Yeah, you are a furnace. Yes. I'm just um, impossibly hot. And um, if you are a fan of the show and like us so much that you want to give us money. Which we don't expect you to. No, of course not. You can sign up to become a member of our Patreon page. And um, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. You can just get bonus content. When and if we ever do it. And we do it. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Um, um, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash reallycultured. Yeah. And that's it. That's it. So, um, I know after this episode, I'm feeling really cultured today, but are you? But are you, listener? Are you feeling really cultured today? I mean, definitely feel cultured. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Alexandrian Media, Art and Culture for the Modern Era.